Blog Talk Radio. Everybody and welcome to All You Need to Know Radio. I am your host, John Hollywood, and we are going to be talking about the China trade war. Donald Trump says he can declare a state of national emergency. Can he really do it? Our two amazing attorneys will be joining us live. This is All You Need to Know Radio, and it starts right now. That's 
516-999-5166-916-9990 and be part of the show. If you're brave enough, press 1. That lets our producer know you're ready to be part of the show. But the thing is, is that you can also follow us. Let's get some housekeeping done. The show is brought to you by the incredible law office of Warburton Nunn. Make sure that you look them up on the internet, on Instagram, and uh, we're going to be talking to them in just a few minutes, and we'll give you their phone number here in just a couple of minutes. But Donald Trump, once again, puts his foot in his mouth. Warwickton Nunn's number is 972-863-9592. That's 972-863-9592. Guys, if you need legal help, you need to call these guys. They are super rock star lawyers and attorneys, and they're going to be joining us live here in just a minute. So what we're talking about on tonight's show is Donald Trump is blackmailing China, trying to get them to... I'm really not sure what he's trying to get it. Let's hear it straight from the horse's ass's mouth. Well, the reaction is very simple. China has been taking advantage of the United States for many, many years. I'm not just talking about during the Obama administration. Uh, you can go back long before that. And it's been taking out 400, 500, 600 billion dollars a year out of the United States. And we can't let that happen. Uh, we're in a very strong position. Our economy has been very powerful. Theirs has not been. Uh, we've gone up a lot since our great election in 2016. And uh, if you look at the numbers, they've gone down quite a bit. Uh, we're dealing with them. We have a very good relationship. Maybe something will happen. We're going to be meeting, as you know, at the G20 in Japan. And that'll be, I think, probably a very fruitful meeting. But we're taking in right now hundreds of billions of dollars. We're taking in billions of dollars of tariffs. And those tariffs are going to be uh, tremendously, if you look at what we've done thus far with China, we've never taken in 10 cents until I got elected. Now we're taking in billions and billions. Now, it went up as of Friday very substantially. It's 25 percent or 200 billion. So now the total is 25 percent on 250 billion dollars. In addition to that, we have another 325 billion dollars that we can do if we decide to do it. So we are taking in tens of billions of dollars. Uh, we've never done that before with, uh, with China. We've never done that before with anybody, frankly, because we've been taken advantage of on all of our trade deals, practically. Uh, this is a, uh, a very positive step. I love the position we're in. There can be some retaliation, but it can't be very, very substantial by comparison. And out of the billions of dollars that we're taking in, a small portion of that will be going to our farmers, because China will be retaliating probably to a certain extent against our farmers. We're going to take the highest year, the biggest purchase that China has ever made with our farmers, which is about $15 billion and do something reciprocal to our farmers so our farmers can do well. Uh, they'll be planting, they'll be able to sell for less, and they'll make the same kind of money until such time as it's all straightened out. So our farmers will be very happy, uh, our manufacturers will be very happy, and our government is very happy because we're taking in tens of billions of dollars. I think it's working out very well. Hey there, I'm Chris Hayes from MSNBC. Thanks for okay, watching so MSNBC on YouTube. If you want to keep up to date with the videos we're putting out, you can click subscribe just below me or click over on this list to see lots. Welcome to the fantasy island of Donald Trump because this is not how that works, guys. 
the tariffs that he is putting on China, make no mistake, do not just affect the people he was just saying, because he was saying he's trying to convince Americans that when he puts tariffs on other countries, on goods that come into this country, then they're going to retaliate and no one's going to pay but the American people. You're going to pay higher with electronic devices, iPhones, you name it. Right now, farmers are already having to file bankruptcy at record numbers. Uh, in many ways, uh, Donald Trump said that on this ongoing tra- trade battle between the world's top two economicists, uh, I could declare a national emergency. I think when they steal and take our intellectual property, that anywhere from $300 billion to $500 billion a year, and when we have lost almost a trillion dollars a year for many years until I became president. By the way, this guy also uh, said he was the chosen one uh, this week. He really said he was the chosen one. My God, what is going on in this world? He's not the chosen one. He's one of the most hated people in this country. He's one of the biggest liars in this country. And he surrounds himself with minions that have no self-respect for themselves. Real quick, we're going to give a shout-out to one of our number one fans out there, Parker Jones. He is an amazing friend of mine and the gingerbread man here. Parker, we sure appreciate your support and telling everybody about us. So sit back and relax because you think China takes this laying down. China, remember, has passed a new law that the the Chinese president is the president for life. So he literally could just wait this out with Donald Trump until Donald Trump is no longer president. And remember that uh, we owe China trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars. This country should be called China USA. Here's China's response. It's war, but not with tanks and guns. This time, tariffs and Twitter feeds, the ammunition, in the latest escalation of a bitter trade dispute between the U.S. and China. We are looking at a broad and deep market sell-off. We're looking at all of the majors off by some 2% or more. And in fact, Markets reeled as Beijing reacted to the latest bout of U.S. tariffs by fighting back, hiking taxes on $60 billion worth of key American imports. Think beans to Budweiser. The two premiers had been on course to bury the hatchet, but late last week talks broke down after China's president, Xi Jinping, declared he wouldn't give in to President Trump's demands to enshrine new trade laws. The deal called off, President Trump resorted to his favorite negotiation tool, not talks, but tariffs. China will have to retaliate because President Xi Jinping cannot afford to appear that he allows himself to be bullied by the Trump administration. Overnight, 200 billion worth of Chinese goods hit with an extra 25% of import taxes. This, even as he simultaneously described talks with the Chinese president as candid and constructive and said his relationship with President Xi was very strong, but not that strong. The next day, the Beijing bashing ramped up. I know I'm going to win, and I love collecting big tariffs, Trump tweeted. And this morning it continued with a warning to President Xi. China will be hurt very badly if you don't make a deal. And China should not retaliate. It will only get worse. 
But retaliate they did. Earlier, an official saying this. China will never surrender to external pressure. We have the determination and the ability to safeguard our legitimate rights and interests. China has to take countermeasures. In simple English, Washington woke up to the news that 60 billion worth of U.S. goods, roughly 4,000 products, would face tit-for-tat tariffs. Farmers targeted with hikes on foods like meat, honey and fruit juices. Iconic brands like Budweiser and the Californian wine industry also hit. And the list includes hundreds of consumer goods, things like books, cameras and even Mr Trump's treasured golf clubs. Nobody's a winner in a trade war and while the US economy and manufacturers will inevitably take a hit, China arguably stands to be worse off given the sheer volume of products it exports to the US roughly four times as much as trade going in the opposite direction. Now, the Chinese economy was already slowing, but a protracted trade battle could potentially make things worse. And ironically, if things get worse for China, then the US and the world economy suffers too. So it's in everybody's interest that the two sides agree some form of deal. The Chinese have never really fully trusted the Americans. They know that at some stage the Americans will uh, respond in a negative way to the rise of China. So they are not totally surprised, but they would have preferred this to come rather a bit later, so one say. As for any immediate thawing, little hope. President Trump has already threatened to slap his 25% tariff on a further $300 billion worth of Chinese imports, a move that would no doubt attract yet more tit-for-tat taxes from Beijing. Siobhan Kennedy reporting. Well, joining us now is Dr. Yu Jie, who researches China's economic diplomacy at Chatham House and who returned, indeed, from China overnight, and Martin Jakes, a senior fellow at the Department of Politics and International Studies at Cambridge University and a visiting professor at Tsinghua University in Beijing. Uh, let me just ask you, Dr. Yu Jie, uh, I mean, we've known this has been rumbling along for some time. All right, guys, so listen. Donald Trump thinks that there's no retaliation that's going to happen. So we're going to bring our best injustice guys on. The superstar attorneys of Warrigin Nun, 972-863-9592. Uh, Amos Warrench and Hunter Nunn, welcome, gentlemen, to the show. John, thanks for having me on. Thank you, John. Absolutely. Definitely, guys. So we're going to go one at a time. We'll start with Amos. Almost, does Donald Trump have the authority to declare a national emergency based off of what you've heard? I mean, honestly, whether he has the authority or not is, in my opinion, not the problem here. Legally, he probably doesn't, and frankly, I defer to Hunter um, to give a more detailed answer to that question. I believe that um, he's overstepping his uh, constitutional authority of Article 2 because of, you know, Congress's delegation powers probably don't um, allow him to do it. But really, it's it's just a stupid mistake for a bunch of reasons. I mean, he's um, going to cause a recession. Uh, in many ways, he may have already done so. Well, and the only thing Donald Trump has going for him is the economy. Mm -hmm. And actually, if you look at it, the economy, it's not really even the economy. It's actually Wall Street, where the Wall Street numbers are great, 
but those are just rich people. And a lot of Americans, mm-hmm. I would say the majority of Americans don't buy stock. So if Donald mm-hmm. Trump loses the economy, he is going to lose the election. I, I agree. And one of the interesting things politically that I've noticed in the last couple of months that um, is people in very red states who are clearly um, – demographically Trump supporters, things like farmers in Iowa, um, are coming out in the news media and saying, you know, this is killing me. I can't sell soybeans to China anymore. I'm going to lose my business. And, um, you know, I think from a political calculus perspective, not even talking about the economics of it all, but just strictly on political calculus, I feel like he's making a mistake. Um, you know, he makes a lot of mistakes, so maybe there's some sort of weird, magical 3D, 4D chess. But I think what's really going on here is he's just kind of bumbling and has no idea about the nature of international trade and, you know, bilateral trade deficits versus uh, multilateral trade deficits. It's really a complicated economic issue. Which, when it's anything complicated, Donald Trump doesn't have the education of a five-year-old child. So mm-hmm. that's what's kind of scary, that the president of our country doesn't understand the economics of what he's doing is actually destroying families. I mean, farmers mm-hmm. are filing bankruptcy at a faster rate than they have in the history of this country, mm-hmm. which is going to cause him to lose that in his base. Hunter, your turn. What do you think? It is a complicated question, John, and uh the short answer, as the law is right now, is yes, he apparently does have authority to do this. The act that he's citing is a law from 1977. It's the International Emergency Economic Powers Act. Now, I, I think that the president has been uh, liberal at best in his uh, use of the word emergency as it applies to another country or a particular situation that's going on. Um, you know, obviously, as it relates to Mexico, I, I would seriously dispute that there is an emergency or a crisis at, at the border. I know that's another subject for another time, but uh, the act does give the president fairly broad powers to impose regulations on trade such as tariffs and um, that's the state of the law now i think uh, the question is does it need to continue that way and i i actually found an interesting fact that since this law was passed as of march 1st 2019 and this is according to the congressional research service Presidents declared 54 national emergencies invoking this act, 29 of which are still ongoing. So think about that for a second. You know, how often do you really hear about that in the news? You know, I I thought that was a pretty interesting statistic to read there, and it's really come to light a lot because of what the president is trying to do. So it's actually not really a new thing. When you look at those numbers, but it's definitely a good time to look at its use and and whether this is an appropriate use of Congress delegating power to the executive branch, which frankly is another issue in itself that we need to be asking, is that even appropriate under the Constitution? 
to add on that a little bit, what he's trying to do is use executive orders essentially to legislate, I think, you, you uh, mean the through this act. He, you mean the ones that he just like slammed President Obama for over and over and over and over about? Exactly, the, sir. The same ones. So just a little bit about how that works. I've, I've been researching this topic actually is, you know, the first question I wanted to ask is, where do you get legal authority to issue an executive order? So there's not really a great answer for it that I can find so far. The Constitution, Article 2, establishes the powers and responsibilities of the executive branch. And in the Constitution itself, you know, really the language is fairly vague, in my opinion, that basically tells the president, your job is to faithfully – uh, carry out and administer the laws that Congress has put in place. And, and, and of course, I, I think it naturally follows that if the Supreme Court, you know, the highest court in the land that tells us what the law is, is Congress has enacted it, if there are decisions or guidance that is offered on those laws by the Supreme Court, then the president needs to carry out the law consistent with those instructions or, or with that guidance. So, you know, essentially an executive order has to be consistent with both the Constitution and a lawful purpose that Congress has authorized. Hey, guys, I hate to, we need to break in here for a second, and there is a uh, weather alert that we must let everyone know. If you are in okay. Florida, the Orlando Sentinel is reporting that a hurricane – Hurricane Dorian could hit Florida with an extremely dangerous Category 4 storm. Guys, take these. Everybody in Florida, all my friends out there, all the listeners, this is an extremely dangerous storm headed your way. If you are in Florida, a Category 4 hurricane is headed your way. Please take cover. I don't see any orders that they're telling people to evacuate at this time. This is coming over the AP wire from the Orlando Sentinel. Once again, this is a weather alert. You are there. Hurricane Dorian is headed towards Florida and is an extremely dangerous storm. And is at a category four that could hit you within the next couple of hours. Once again, this is an extreme weather alert from all you need to know radio if you're in Florida, turn on your news. And guys, take this seriously. They don't play around. Don't go stand on the beach and have a party watching hurricanes like I know a lot of my friends do. So back to our show. This is All You Need to Know Radio. I'm your host, John Hollywood. And we have almost uh, Warwick and Hunter Nunn with Warwick and Nunn. Phone number 972-863-9592 if you need any legal assistance. They are a superstar law firm. Go ahead, Hunter. I'm sorry to inter inter interfere, uh, basically, to jump uh, in there, but that's a big, big, big deal to let people people need to know about. No problem, John. I'm glad you did that. I've got some really good friends down in Florida, and um, uh, I know there's a lot of people who are scrambling right now to get gas and water and to uh, set up their hurricane shutters. So I. I hope everybody down there is safe and takes appropriate precautions. Um, Absolutely. But so you, back you to know, the executive just, uh, order thing. Do you think he's doing all this by executive order, or do you think he's relying back in the law that was 1976? I think what he's doing is he's using executive orders 
to this may be in his view to faithfully carry out what Congress has asked him to do, and, and I think that's a very subjective opinion, if you will, but I I think what he's trying to do is use these laws that Congress put on the books in the 70s or earlier, you know, even in the Cold War era, potentially, to suit his policy now. And I think he's using those in effect to legislate from the Oval Office, which in my personal opinion is unconstitutional, period. Can I jump in and say a couple yes, of words sir. about that? Because I, I, I think ahead, there's I'm a up. big picture thing that's important to discuss when we're discussing executive orders and um, the authority of the president under the law, and that is it is Congress's fault. I love to blame Trump. You know that. Your listeners know that if they've been hearing the shows that I've been on. For this one, it's really mostly Congress's fault, um, and it goes back literally hundreds of years. Um Legislating is difficult. The details are hard. The details really matter. If Congress didn't want the executive branch to have the legal authority to set tariff rates, they are allowed to, to pass a highly specific piece of legislation that sets tariff rates. Um, you know, similarly, the EPA administers the Clean Air Act by they make they get to make up, you know, the percentages in the air of sulfur that are allowed from uh, coal-fired power plants. Whereas, if Congress really was capable as as be, of being a good legislative body and actually doing the law correctly, actually legislating, they could specify. Hey, I want um, you know the tariff rate with China on aluminum to be four percent. That I want the sulfur dioxide emissions rate from a coal-fired power plant to be three parts per billion. Congress has the authority to do that under the Constitution, and they are failing the American people by repeatedly passing these highly vague laws. And then under the Administrative Procedure Act, the administrative state that is the White House, but also things like the U.S. Trade Representative, um, the State Department, uh, the EPA, the NSA, the FBI, all those folks, they, they take the laws that Congress has passed that are vague and then fill in all the details through administrative procedures. So, you know, one thing that could happen, and obviously in the current political climate with Mitch McConnell, it wouldn't happen. The one thing that could theoretically happen is the House and the Senate could get together and pass their own tariff rates, and clearly that would, pardon my pun, trump the White House's um, executive orders under the Constitution, but they don't do that because it's hard to legislate and they're lazy. Um, so, you know, like I said, it's good do to blame Donald Trump for a bunch of things and he's screwing up, but really Congress could solve this problem. Do you think that the Democrats are making a mistake by not passing such legislation, even though the Senate may not do it? At least if the Democrats do it in the House, it's showing the Repu that the Republicans are the ones that are not doing anything. You know, I, I do actually think that they are, and I want to be clear with you that um, even though I follow politics incredibly closely, I do not know every single bill that's been passed by the 116th Congress and the House of Representatives since January. There's a chance they actually have done that because they've, they've done it to a lot of things. Like they passed multiple election security bills that died in the Senate. Um, you know, I, I, I think that it would be wise – 
for the leadership of the Democratic Party, you know, Schumer and Pelosi and people like that, to um, be a little louder about it if they did it and tell everybody, look, these, this trade war that Donald Trump's killing the economy with, we tried to stop it, and Mitch McConnell killed it, just like they're doing for things like election security bills. But um, if they have done it, I'm not aware of it, but they may have. John, if I could say a few words on this, I yes, sir. I do think it's a mistake. Uh, it, you know, almost as a point that it, it may be something where good intentions don't get through, and I think that may very well be part of it. But but I do want to make this point that if you think about what this country was founded on, it was not founded on one person regulating commerce. Think about that for a second. Amen. No, amen. Amen to that. Because I think a lot of people have forgotten what this country was founded on, to be honest with you. It's a fair question to ask sometimes. And, you know, what I've been looking through, you know, and trying to read some of these cases and figure out how we got to this point, you know, how the president has these powers from Congress to do what he's doing, you know, John, one thing I come back to in a lot of things I do is how can we simplify this? You know, and what's the real point here? Okay, and and one thing I think I'm identifying early is when you think about what our founding fathers were trying to do, they were trying to get away from being ruled by one person. Okay, you know, they were trying to get away from the king of England. And the way our government is set up is so that you don't have one person who controls everything, who dictates all of your policy, who regulates trade. So think about that for a second, because what they didn't want to have was a king. And I think that to vest power in the president, you know, if the idea here is to let him make the decisions about trade, whoever it is, and I don't care if it's Trump or if it's somebody else, but the point being, if you're delegating those kind of powers to the president, John, I think that's scary, frankly. You know, what the Constitution Agreed. says is that's Congress's job, period, end of story. <laughs> I don't see anything in the Constitution that says the president can do that. You know, what it does say is that if Congress passes a tax, like a tariff, you know, the president's job is to make sure that that law is executed. It doesn't say that it's the president's job to to set that policy. You know, and that's why as I'm looking at these things, you know, the concern that gets raised to me is if it's even constitutional in the first place for Congress to delegate it, has it gone too far? And, you know, I think there's a, a valid argument to make at this point that, yeah, maybe it has. Oh, I'll tell you, yes, it's gone too far. I mean, Donald Trump <laughs> breaks the law every single day in broad daylight. I mean, he doesn't even try to do it in the dead of night. I mean, he breaks it in front of you, and Congress or the Senate does absolutely nothing and I'm hearing rumblings, and I'll be the first to say this on the air, is that impeachment is coming very quickly. And the more mm-hmm. I've thought about impeachment, I think it's important that the, that the uh, Democrats do impeach him, and for no other reason than it's part of his legacy, which will hurt Donald Trump that way. 
are and just like with the Kent, with the Nixon situation, when there was so much that was going on, where only 16% wanted Nixon impeached, but by the time all the evidence was presented, 68 to I think 73% of Americans wanted him impeached. In fact, there were thousands of people that were outside the White House with signs saying mm-hmm. impeach Nixon. So Donald Trump has not incurred that wrath as of yet. But he's pushing it, and he's pushing it, and he's pushing it every single day. And uh, John, let me briefly respond because I so agree with you. Um, In November of this year, a bunch of court rulings are going to come down with regards to the impeachment inquiry that um, Gerald Nadler and and Douglas Letter are repeatedly referencing in court filings every day um, for – Compelling the testimony of Don McGahn, compelling the testimony of Corey Lewandowski. Hey, real quick, Hicks. make sure you tell people mm-hmm. tell people who that is. Who is who is Don McGahn? Okay, Do, Don McGahn is the White House Counsel, so he's the attorney who represents the White House. He does not represent Donald Trump. He represents the the White House. Um, so and he's, he's like no a longer with Donald, He's no longer with the White House. Correct. He he resigned. And um, one of the things that was clearly identified in the Mueller report as a instance of obstruction of justice is that Donald Trump instructed Don McGahn to create a false memo about Donald Trump's order to fire Robert Mueller. Um, and that's just blatant obstruction of justice. And Don McGahn um, is a critical witness who um, refused to appear before a subpoena under a spurious claim of executive privilege and did not attend his congressional hearing following a valid congressional subpoena. Um, So a bunch of court cases are percolating through the D.C. Circuit Court um, about several enforcement actions taken by the House Judiciary Committee and the House Oversight Committee and the House Intelligence Committee. And um, there's likely – I'm – I've also been reading some rumblings (laughs) that we're looking at November of 2019 for several kind of gangbusters important hearings over things like uh, Trump tax returns and um, compelling people to testify and um, compelling the production of documents um, related to his finances and business practices. Um, And there's, in my opinion, the, you know, one of the things that, I remember it was a big talking point in the press about a month ago that uh, Pelosi was letting down the progressive wing of the party by failing to pursue impeachment. I don't think that's actually happening. They are pursuing impeachment. It's just they're faced with a, um unprecedented stonewalling and obstruction of um, the process of congressional oversight – and so they're moving towards the courts. Now, I mentioned the gentleman Douglas Letter. Douglas Letter is um, a very powerful private attorney who um, recently quit his job working for a big fancy law firm in New York City and um, agreed to get hired as the in-house counsel for the House of Representatives, for the Democrats, basically, uh, for the Democratic Caucus for the House of Representatives, I believe. And um, he um, – completely trounced Trump's lawyers in court a couple of days ago about the um, Mazar USA and uh, Deutsche Bank subpoenas. Um, The judge was incredibly harsh 
in um, refuting the uh, spurious legal arguments made by the counsel for the president, who was basically trying to say that this is all a political hit job, and the judge was like, no, this is legitimate congressional oversight. Um, So it's kind of a below-the-radar news story. Go ahead. I'm sorry. That's okay. Did you see how Deutsche Bank responded to the court after the court had to issue a federal court order ordering them Mm -hmm. to respond to the court, the court's ruling and uh, basically threatened to hold them in contempt? They won't say whether they're Donald Trump's tax returns, but they say that they do have the financial documents. What a bullshit response. Well, it's, um, you know, their their argument, and I don't know whether it's true or not, but the argument of Trump's lawyers is that there are confidentiality clauses in the contracts between Trump and the banks, and um, the court – the bank would be civilly liable to Donald Trump um, if they turned it over absent a court order. So they requested basically. The the bank was like, we'll we'll comply – Order us to. Exactly. Um, and is and my this, is all, this is a attorney 101. If there is a criminal mm-hmm. enterprise going on, it doesn't matter what the contract says. If you're committing mm-hmm. a criminal offense, those contracts or whatever the contract says, is you're not liable for anything. You need to start looking for a lawyer yourself. <laughs> well, you know, um, th- I agree with you. That is um, civil litigation regarding an enforcement of a uh, – congressional oversight subpoena. So it's not quite, um, there's not been a, I mean, I understand where you're coming from, John, and I agree, but there has not been a formal criminal allegation against Donald Trump or his company for being like, you know, a RICO conspiracy act or something like that, that, you know, that, so you're right that in the context of criminal law, um, if you're found to be running a criminal enterprise, that your contracts can get thrown out. But um, in the context of a subpoena litigation, it's that's not the way it, – it's like a little distinction, but it, it actually does make a pretty big difference. And, and the way I'm looking at this is normally these procedures take years to go through the courts, and the fact that mm-hmm. the courts are moving this stuff so quickly shows me the courts are not happy with the president of the United States. You know, I agree with you, and it, part of the reason that they're moving so quickly is because of the statements made by um, the House of Representatives. I mean, Jared Nadler, the uh, head of the Judiciary Committee, in his motion um, in the Don McGahn subpoena enforcement thing made, made serious news by saying that in the motion, they didn't, they didn't go to the press. You know, they didn't go on MSNBC. They um, they wrote a motion that said, uh, you know, we need this information because we're considering impeaching the president. Um, and you know, and you, and by the way, we need to do it before 2020. Um, <laughs> and the, the court, the, the court listened to them and uh, said, okay, we'll set this for a hearing really quickly. So. I mean, that's a reasonable argument. Court sent it by reasonable arguments. I'm sorry. I'm rambling. We got way off. No, of no, no. You're, topic, you're, you're, you're not rambling at all. You're being very honest, and people need uh-huh. to hear this. Guys, you're listening to mm-hmm. All You Need to Know Radio. We've almost been commercial-free, and we have the attorneys from uh, Warwick and Nunn, our uh, best in justice 
attorneys. Uh, if you have any legal problems whatsoever, 972-863-9592. Also, you can go to Instagram at Warwards and None, Twitter Warwards and None, and Facebook Warwards and None. If, guys, if you didn't know you had those social medias, you do. <laughs> but, Hunter, <laughs> do you have any response to this? I generally echo what almost is saying. You know, I really at this point in general, I I just think there's questions we need to be asking about the laws that we have. And um, I agree with you, you know, 100%. I'm, I'm sure that some of these acts that, that the president is citing are looking to use as his authority to make these orders. You know, like I said, some of them are Cold War era. I, I think the earliest was passed. 1917, uh, the Trading with Enemies Act, I believe it's called. But, um, you know, it's really time to look at some of these laws and say, okay, what was the historical context? What were these laws enacted to do? Do we need them? Are are they still serving a valid purpose? And, you know, maybe it's time for us to to kind of look within here and say, what are we doing? And, uh, you know, do these laws have the propensity to allow people to do things that we really don't want people to do. You know, again, whether that's President Trump or whether it's anybody else, you know, to some extent is immaterial, but if you have these laws on the books that allow you, you know, colorable legal authority to basically target whoever you want to, whenever you want to, and to call it a national emergency that goes on for 10 years or longer, however long it is, yeah, I think we need to start asking questions, and we need to look at these things and say, is it time to change the law? You know, the other issue I think we need to look at is, you know, at the end of the day, is this really how our government is set up and how it should be set up? Well, you know, here's a question and, for both of you. Executive privilege. Mm-hmm. My, my understanding of executive privilege can only be invoked by the president of the United States, not people that work for him. Like uh, like people have gone before, like the attorney general have gone before, which he's not the attorney general, by the way. He's Donald Trump's lapdog defense attorney. But the thing is, the attorney general and other people that work for the president or take uh, – what was that beautiful girl's name? Uh, Hope Hicks. Hope she Hicks. Sat in front, she sat in front of the congressional committee, and she cited executive privilege. I don't think she has that authority. Can you explain to our listeners who actually has the authority of what executive privilege and how it works? Almost, you go first. Well, that's a, I could talk about that for a long time, and um, that's a very complicated question. But um, the answer is, as a lot of these things turn out, um, found in lit- litigation surrounding President Nixon um, and um, and Bill Clinton. There, there's no statement in the Constitution or in any federal law that I am aware of defining precisely what executive privilege is. What there are is there are a bunch of cases, um, and the cases make a amorphous definition about what executive privilege is. Um, the short answer is – the president is supposed to – my understanding of the pres, precedent is that the president is supposed to claim the privilege as to matters that would affect the public interest if revealed so that he is allowed to have 
close discussions with his advisors about matter, you know, frank discussions with his advisors about matters of policy and can make the best decision without fear that those things will be dragged through the courts later. Um, executive privilege has, you know, in United States versus Nixon, which was a Supreme Court case in 1974, the Supreme Court case limited executive privilege to specifically say that it wasn't appropriate in the context of um, criminal investigations or potential criminal investigations or impeachment investigations related to potential high crimes and misdemeanors committed by the president or other members of the executive branch. Trump is testing that precedent. And not only is he testing that precedent, he's testing that precedent in incredibly unique ways that have never been done before. Um, so, for example, Corey Lewandowski, who is the president's former campaign manager and informal ally, um, and has never held a job in the White House. He was subpoenaed to testify um, by the, I believe, the House Oversight Committee, and um, Cummings is the, the, the Democrat chair of that committee. Um, and uh, Lewandowski uh, did not appear because Trump instructed him not to appear on the basis of executive privilege, but he was never a White House advisor. You know, he was an advisor prior to Trump being in the White House, but he was never a White House advisor, so executive privilege probably doesn't apply. But then the question is, okay, so Corey Lewandowski isn't showing up for um, a mandated congressional subpoena, so what's the enforcement mechanism? And the answer to that question is, well, we'll see what happens when the court rules on that subpoena enforcement in November – if the judges do what I expect them to do and grant the House of Representatives the right to question these individuals under oath, and then they refuse the federal court order, then we're in big trouble as a country from the perspective of the rule of law. We're in a constitutional crisis, a real constitutional crisis. Right. If, if you know, people are blatantly ignoring federal court orders to appear and testify before Congress in an investigation, it's, it's like, I mean, you want to talk about going and putting out, you know, impeach Nixon signs in the White House lawn. It's, if, if and when that happens, like, I personally will protest, and I'm like a busy lawyer. And I will well, be right there with you. Also, Bill Clinton yeah. tried to use executive privilege for the Monica Lewinsky scandal. Remember? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The court shot him down. I, I believe that's accurate. And, and I think Hunter, um, you're, you're, go ahead. Go ahead, Hunter. John, I, I just wanted to to echo a point almost was making there. You, you know, and you also alluded to this a constitutional crisis, and I think that's accurate. And you know, kind of from a personal day to day standpoint, you, you know, in almost a nice practice, we're trial lawyers. You know, we issue subpoenas. You know, subpoenas are sometimes issued to our clients. And, John, I would not, as a lawyer, nor would almost advise a client not to comply with a subpoena. That's a pretty basic tenet here that we're talking about. You know, if you're subpoenaed, you need to comply. Or if there's a valid objection to make to the subpoena, then use the appropriate process to make the objection. But I, I found it... I find it very disturbing, uh, you know, that a sitting United States president is openly suggesting 
to subordinates or members of the executive branch not to comply with the subpoena. I find it. I, let's be real. Let's be real here, guys. Donald Trump knows in the in the end he's going to lose all of this. He knows all he's trying to do is play the clock out so he can play the victim. That's all he's doing. He's going to say that I agree. It's, Democrats, electoral, it's electoral. It's politics. Exactly. And it was never supposed mm-hmm. to be that way as far as I know. Well, no, you're right. Guys, I thank you so much. Y'all have spent so much on the show with me that y'all weren't, y'all didn't have to do. So I will mm-hmm. let you guys get to your personal lives. And uh, my uh, to, to both of your ladies, uh, I extend my apologies <laughs> for taking up your evening. <laughs> I owe them both flowers and dinner. But uh, thank you, guys thank so you much. for the kind words, John. It's really always a pleasure to discuss politics with you on your show. Absolutely, guys. All right. Well, thank Thanks you for having so us much. On. Absolutely. All right, guys. So those are the super. You too. You got that. You guys. That is the superstar lawyers of Warwick and Nunn nine seven two eight six three nine five nine two. Go to Instagram Warwick and Nunn. Go to Twitter Warwick and Nunn and Facebook Warwick and Nunn. This single you're hearing in the background back there is the friend to the show, Ty Herndon, who. Just released a brand new album called uh, Got It Covered. Go to iTunes and Google Play and download it. Support the arts, guys. Ty Herndon actually got a, a, a tweet from country music megastar Carrie Underwood, the American Idol winner herself. And she said she loved Ty Herndon's cover of her number one hit, So Small. Make sure you call your radio stations. Let's get this song on the radio. This is Ty Herndon, So Small. You're listening to All You Need to Know Radio, and I am your host, John Hollywood. We are heard exclusively on Blog Talk Radio. And our brand new time, thanks to you, at 8 p.m. Central Standard Time. Don't touch that dial. We'll be right back. While you're sitting around worrying about what you can't change and worrying about Hey everybody, let's who this is. It's your favorite radio host, John Hollywood with All You Need to Know Radio. And I want to take some time out real quick to give a big shout out to an amazing law firm, Warwick and Nunn. Guys, if you have any kind of legal problems of any kind, I mean, if you have personal injury, real estate, and um, business problems, transactions, if you need litigation help, uh, I don't know about parking tickets, but man, this law firm does everything. If you have been taken advantage of and you think you have nowhere to turn, let me brighten your uh, eyes right now and put a smile on your face. Call 972-863-9592. That is 972-863-9592. Ask for Hunter or Amos, and it is Warridge and Nunn. That's Warridge and Nunn. And they are a full-service law firm. They 
are so incredible, guys. One thing is they're trustworthy. The other is they actually will care about your case and explain it to you where you will be able to understand it. A lot of attorneys I've dealt with in my life, they like to talk over your head. Not these guys. These guys want you to understand you do have a choice. You've got to be the one that makes the right choice. If you're having any problems legally, if you're having aggressive if you're having aggressive problems in your life to where you feel like you just have nowhere to turn, I've got the place you need to turn to. It is the law firm of Warwick and Nunn at 972-863-9592. That's 972-863-9592. Or go to warwicknunn.com. Make sure you tell these guys, Hunter and Almost, that you heard about them on All You Need to Know Radio, your favorite radio show. And, guys, listen, legal problems are just a thing of life. There are people out there that will take advantage of you. There are people out there that will make you feel that you have no options. These guys are rock stars. And in the courtroom, they are incredible and they won't let you get taken advantage of so all you need to know radio and john hollywood recommend warwards and none call him right now if you have any kind of legal problems any kind of legal questions 972-863-9592 that's 972-863-9592 warwards Can I be honest with you, man to man? You're adopted, and we don't talk about that enough. Because to me, you are every part my son. I love you as much as a human heart can, kiddo. You are an exceptional young man. When I look into your eyes, big three. Big three. Saying I do means saying I will. You have changed the way I think about love. I've got this big, amazing, beautiful life. And I think that's going to happen for you, too. I'm giving you all my. Yeah, I can't believe how small he is. Look at our son. He's gonna be okay. He's gone. You know what he wants for you? Everything. As parents, we talk a lot about what we want for our kids. I want my kids to be okay. I want my family. Be okay. You were my purpose, Kevin. You are the only thing I'm ever going to need. Hey, Dad. 
And I am a Taylor Swift. I'm with her. And our song pick of the week is uh, the title song from her brand new album, Lover, called Lover. And our song pick of the week is by the mega country, the mega country pop star, Taylor Swift, songwriter. And she sings live everywhere she is. Her videos are so creative and send you a message. And she made the White House sit up and make a response to her after her single, uh, You Need to Calm Down. At the end of it, it's, it wanted you to sign an Equality Act um, that would basically would give same, every single person in this country the same rights. And the White House ignored it even after it had almost, I think, almost half a million uh signatures on it now understand when a document gets over a hundred thousand signatures on it the white house is required to respond they did not until taylor swift called them out on national television saying uh it's time there's over almost five hundred thousand people that have signed this so our song pick of the week is from megastar taylor swift it's new it's dangerous and the world is in your face and it's Taylor Swift, lover. Take a listen. We can leave the Christmas lights up till January. This is our place. We made the world. I know you 20 seconds, 20 years. Can I go? So that was Taylor Swift and her number one song, Lover. And that does run. We are out of time for tonight's show. Once again, I want to thank you for joining us. I am your host, John Hollywood. We are heard at our brand new time every Thursday night, 8 p.m. Central Standard Time. We want to thank the incredible law office of Hunter, or, or Warwick and Nunn, Hunter Nunn and Almost Nunn, Almost Warwick, excuse me. Let's do this again. Warwick and Nunn, the incredible guys, Hunter, Nunn, and Almost Warwick. And you can reach them once again on all social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Please go and look at their pages on Instagram, Warwick and Nunn, Warwick and Nunn on Facebook, Warwick and Nunn on Twitter. Make sure you go follow All You Need to Know Radio on All You Need to Know Radio on Facebook, on Instagram. And on Twitter at All Need to Know Radio. And guys, remember, as always, keep reaching for the stars because that's where it all begins. I'm John Hollywood, your host. Until next week, have a great evening and good night from Dallas, Texas.